You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit tvcresources.net. Good morning, y'all. My name is Amanda Davis. Um, I lead worship for Women's Bible Study. Um, I sing in the choir, and then I also lead our Embrace Grace group at um, Recovery on Wednesdays. Um, Today we are in the chapter 1 Peter 5, 1 through 11. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, y'all doing well? I'm always a little sad when we finish a study. I mean, it's like a year's worth of work, and then it kind of just gets all tied off at the end. But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Uh, We're going to just look at chapter 5 here uh, and kind of land the plane on 1 Peter. The good news is 1 Peter will stay in your Bible for the rest of your life. Uh, So feel free to revisit this over and over and over again. Uh, When I was in college, uh, a mentor of mine came to me uh, after I'd kind of switched majors, and now I'm... Finally surrendered to ministry, gave up the the dream of being rich and powerful in law, and instead uh, quasi took a vow of poverty. I I mean, at least I thought that was what we were doing, and uh, switched my major to Bible, and and one of the guys in uh, my circle at that time pulled me aside and said, hey, if you're going to have a long run in ministry, uh, you need an ancient friend. And so I, I don't know what that means. Uh, I certainly didn't at the time, and so I was like, what do you mean an ancient friend? He's like... "Um, in the course of your life, uh, culture is going to swing wildly in a bunch of different directions. Uh, and one of the ways you can help yourself from getting too cloudy uh, about what's going on in your own day, because you'll be in it, you won't be able to see it from like a, a distance, you'll be just right in the middle of it, is to get yourself an ancient friend uh, who can root you in deep Orthodox Christian faith so that whatever happens culturally in your life, you're anchored. Um, and I really wanted that ancient friend to be Charles Spurgeon. That, that's who I wanted my ancient friend to be. If you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, that's my guy, man. Uh, so uh, Spurgeon pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London for 38 years. Uh, dude was a monster, all right? He was called the Prince of Preachers, but he wasn't just a herald. The uh, dude built an orphanage and called his people, the people that he led into the poorest of the poor and the most needy of the most needy uh, in Victorian England. Church was 
10,000 people, which we're in Dallas. There's 700 of those in Dallas. But in London in the late 1800s, this is unheard of. He uh, starts a Bible college now called Spurgeon College, named after he died. There's no way he would allow it uh, to be called Spurgeon College while he was alive. Uh, so great job. Like, you're dead now. Let's name it. But, um, and, and then uh, not his gift in the pulpit, like Prince of Preachers, right? Not, not just like he, he was so articulate and deep in, in his exposition of Scripture, which usually was like a half of a verse for 50 minutes, right? Um, that the newspapers in and around England would print his sermons on Monday and Tuesday because everybody wanted to read them. Uh, he was just that compelling uh, of uh, a figure. He had a robust chest and presence. In fact, one of the things I don't, I gotta be careful. Um, one of the things they would do in the college, Spurgeon's college, it wasn't called that, is they would measure the chest of the young men. And if their chest was too small, they wouldn't let them because they didn't think they could project so just guess who wouldn't be your pastor today if, right? They're like, uh, yeah, no, bro, you, uh, God has called you to something else. Uh, and so, um, uh, in, in Spurgeon, so my, my, but my mentor was like, you can't do Spurgeon. It was, that's 1800s, bro. Ancient, like think church father. So Augustine, Augustine is my ancient friend. Love me some Augustine. Great friend has served me well over the years. He's got some quirks, but we, we enjoy one another's company. Um, but I've just always had, I've always had a thing for Spurgeon. So, so I've got to tell Augustine, I love you, bud. I'm going to spend some time with Charles today. I'll be back when we're building out the next series. So uh, I say all of that because as we, uh, as I started looking at, okay, chapter five, let's close this thing out. God's been so kind to us the last nine weeks. Uh, how do we kind of put an exclamation point on it? Um, I immediately thought of this quote um, from Spurgeon's autobiography. Uh, it's actually a diary entry uh, that was in his um, diary. Um, if you're from uh, England or London or someplace, not calendar, like actual like dear diary, like journal. Um, and he, he wrote about his journey with the people of Metropolitan Tabernacle. He had been with them 38 years. He was trying to summarize um, what it's like to live and do life with a group of people for an extended period of time with the sole hope of getting safely home. And, and the way he did it uh, was he, he imposed himself in a way, although you'll see his humility in it, into Pilgrim's Progress. Anybody read Pilgrim's Progress? Like, here's what you need to know about Pilgrim's Progress. Um, one of the best-selling books of all of human history. Like, not too far behind the Bible. Like, the Bible and Pilgrim's Progress are just right there competing for the most read book in human history. So Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory where the main character is Christian. And his wife's name is Christiana. And it's all about the Christian life. And Spurgeon wrote this about his relationship with Metropolitan Tabernacle as he thought about, as he thought about a long time together, trying to get home faithfully in the days they were given. And I'm reading it to set up our time together because what we're talking about today is how do we become a community of endurance? How do we become a community of endurance? I rarely get through this without tearing up. So I'm, I'm quasi soft. I'm not as soft as I'll probably appear here in a second. All right. There's just parts of this that tap into stuff in my own heart. I am occupied in my small way as Mr. Greatheart was employed in Bunyan's day. I do not compare myself with that champion, but I am in the same line of business. 
I am engaged in personally conducted tours to heaven. And I have with me at the present time, dear old father, honest. I am glad he is still alive and active. And there is Christiana and there are her children. It is my business as best I can to kill dragons and to cut off giants' heads and to lead on the timid and trembling. I have often been afraid of losing some of the weaklings. I have the heartache for them. But by God's grace, and here's where he includes the church, but by God's grace and your kind and generous help in looking after one another, I hope we shall all travel safely to the river's edge. Oh, how many I have had to part with there. I have stood on the brink. I have heard them singing in the midst of the stream. And I have almost seen the shining ones lead them up the hill and through the gates into the celestial city. Do you see why you would read him on a Tuesday afternoon in the newspaper? But do you hear his heart? Like this, this is, we're in this together. We're trying to get there. We're trying to live faithfully in the moment that God has given us. And, and that means killing dragons and cutting off the, the heads of giants. And that means watching over the weaklings and encouraging the timid and, and the weak. And it, it means uh, being there in a way where, where there's a community of endurance that is committed to one another, committed to getting there together. And and 1 Peter 5 is like this blueprint of if we're going to get there, there are these two pieces that that have to be in place, that have to be guarded, that have to be tended, that have to be celebrated, that have to be looked at and cared for continually. And here's what it is. What we're going to see in 1 Peter 5 is that if we'll be a community of endurance, if we're going to make it there through the highs and lows of life, through dragon attacks and battling with giants then we're going to need countercultural leaders and we're going to need to live out a countercultural witness. So there's the outline for my type A Enneagram ones. So let's start countercultural leadership. Let's look back at the text. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, you and I rightly, I think, live in a time where there's a great deal of skepticism about the motives of leaders and what those leaders do with the power that's been entrusted to them. Like you and I, uh, over and over and over again, have seen those who were given power, given authority, so that they might exercise that power and authority for the good of others, only to take that power and use that power in a way that harms others or, or leverages that power for their own gain. 
Like your skepticism towards leadership in every domain of society is in a very real way like warranted. Like we've got a front row seat like of politicians and pastors, of, of family members and friends who, who had a, a sense of, we had a sense of trust in them. That, that we can trust this man. We can trust this woman. We can look to them as faithful guides to the celestial city. And they failed us. They, they used their power for their own gain. They, they used their power to line their own pockets. They didn't genuinely care for your soul or my soul. Like, gosh, like over and over, it's just on repeat. It's plain on a loop. And so there's skepticism about leadership. We are quick to believe the worst, slow to give the benefit of the doubt. And, and I get it. I'm saying I get it. I'm saying I see it. I see what you see. I understand the issue of our day. And yet Peter says, if we're going to make it, if we're going to make it, there's got to be a kind of leadership inside of the church that's countercultural, that operates in a different kind of way. It's not perfect, but, but he lays it out. And here's how he um, describes it in the passage that we just read, that, that leaders of God's church should both declare and demonstrate the glory of God in the gospel. It is not enough to have all the right answers. See, when you start talking about elders in the Bible, I think the first thing that falls into people's mind is some sort of weird Jedi council. Like guys that have Yoda-like power and you don't have Yoda-like power. You know, you got Luke Skywalker in the first one power. He's like, eh, you know, you're just like pathetic and whiny. That's how you see yourself. But man, Yoda, make that X-wing fighter come right out and move over and land. He's just like a little tiny baby. And, 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 and we think like, oh, that's what an elder is. But, but this passage says, no, 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 listen, that's not what an elder is. They don't have magical powers. What they do is is the gap between, by the grace of God, declaration and demonstration has shrunk. And they are what you hope and think they are. At least that's the charge. That's the charge. And then he gives these kind of ways for us to look at it and think about it and see, is it there uh, for us to even judge rightly? Are these elders worthy of following? Are these elders safe? Will they be for us and not against us? And he, and he starts to list it out that these men who are elders should elder, they should shepherd the flock of God, which I love that illustration, right? This isn't, you know, move into the office. Uh, This is know where the people are. Know what they're in danger of. Serve them and prepare them and come alongside of them. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd takes them where there's clean water. A shepherd gets between them and the wolves. A a, a shepherd makes sure they have plenty to eat. And a shepherd uh, believes and gets them to a place of safety. That's the language, that's certainly the imagery that would have popped into the minds of the hearers of this when it was originally written. And then he says, do that willingly, not under compulsion. So so elders are those who choose to face into opposition anchored in the truth of God's word and hoping in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So elders should be those who get between you and harm's way in the spiritual realm. You tracking with me on that? They understand that you and I are not on some sort of cruise ship right now. That that you and I 
are in the thick of battle. And heaven and hell are at stake and fullness of life and the deterioration of the soul is at stake. And and they understand that Satan hates your marriage and he wants to devour your children. And we'll get to that more in a, a little bit. And he wants to destroy you. They know it and willingly, not under compulsion, they step up and they pray for you and and they walk alongside of you and they encourage you and and they come along and say, well, how can I, what can I do? Right? This is, this is the, how do you know? How do you know? Are they trustworthy? Do they care? Are they there as best they can be when they're outnumbered a bajillion to one? Then he goes on and says that they would do this eagerly, not for shameful gain, so that the primary focus of an elder in a local context is the maturation and safety of the people, not what they might get out of it. You tracking with me? So so that the motive, and, and this is why I love our board, the motive is Christ has put something in my heart for these people. I thinking about them. I go to bed at night, thinking about them. In the morning, I want to serve them. I want to see them grow and mature into all that Jesus would have them be. Uh, I want, right? They, they just, the spirit put that in them. It's not, yeah, I'm an elder. What do you need? What question do you have? You know, I've been given spiritual authority. You want me to drive out a demon? That's not what it is. It, it, it's not swagger at all, even though God has given us authority in some pretty spectacular ways. But, but the next way of seeing it is he talks about being loving and not domineering. So in a world where personal status and influence are the primary currencies, God's leaders model faithfulness by laboring sacrificially for the flourishing of God's people amidst oppression. That they, faith, here's what, I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, we have a plus one majority of lay elders as opposed to pay elders, which means at any given time in our board, there's one more guy that doesn't work for the church, but is a longtime member here that's on our board, right? So that's the way we've chosen uh, to organize. So those guys, uh, they, they work their 50 hour weeks, their 55 hour weeks, some of them that's 60 hour week that's required of them. And then they give us, they give you a big chunk of the rest of their vitality and energy. Why? So they can get up on stage, so they can get that little name tag we give them so they can pray with people, so, so they can get that luscious paycheck that we hand out to our lay elders. We give them nothing but work and not easy work. Like, hey, here's a marriage that's disintegrating. Do you think you can step into this? Uh, this is a, a family that just found out that they probably, the wife probably doesn't have much longer to live. You want to step into that space for us? This is a, a mom and a dad who are so destroyed because some uh, of the waywardness of their son or daughter. Can you step in there? That's what we give them. It's a lot to carry. Not domineering. In fact, even the way we try to look and spot these men is who are quietly and faithfully serving the Lord in this place, loving this body, and nobody sees it and knows who they are. That's literally how we've tried to identify these guys over the years. Like who has just faithfully been serving? They drove a shuttle. They were parking cars when it rained and when it was 170. And, and when it was like, who, who's like, I love these people. I'm going to give this part of my life to these people, 
in this season? Who does that? Who's doing it right now? Now, so if they're already eldering, then let's walk them through the process and give them the title. I love the way that um, Eugene Peterson um, lists those same verses we just read. Here's how they read in the message. I don't know what you think about the message. I don't know that I care. It's great. (laughs) Here's my concern that you care for God's flock with all the diligence of a shepherd, not because you have to, but because you want to please God, not calculating what you can get out of it, but acting spontaneously, not bossily telling others what to do, but tenderly showing them the way. Isn't that great? Like the compulsion is to serve the body. He's not mean spontaneously as in crazy. He's just like my impulse, the thing that pops out of my spirit for this church is to serve them and love them and try to get them to maturity. Now, how is this leadership meant to be countercultural? Well, Jesus shows us this in, in Matthew 20, 25 through 27. Here's what he says. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. In a day where there is right skepticism towards authority and power, the elder in Jesus' church is marked by lowliness, humility, and the compulsion to serve the body into maturity. This past weekend was our elder retreat, and so we went out together and we worked on some things that are organizational issues that we need to fix right now. Uh, So we walked through that. We had an epic pickleball tournament. I'm not going to say that me and Jason Swords, uh, the chairman of the elder board, won that thing. Because we didn't, we got crushed. I think we were one in seven or something like that. Um, But we laughed, we feasted. uh, And then on Friday night for over an hour, we worshiped and we prayed. Uh, And then on Saturday morning, as we just recounted the faithfulness of God, tears were shed for you, for the goodness of Christ in our midst, for how God's protected us as we recounted God's faithfulness, like, like Sten Matha, just tears running down his face as we worshiped, marveling at the grace of God in his own life, longing for you, some of you who haven't experienced that in the deeper places, to experience that. Josh Patterson talking about being 19, broken jaw, coming out of just wildness and going to a Bible study, jaw wired shut because of some foolishness heard that God's wrath is right and good and an invitation to come out from under it and melted under the beauty of the gospel. Or Jeremy Purvis, who just told a story of a mom and dad that that pointed him to the Lord all the time. Not by going, sit down, let's have a family devotional, although that's a good thing. They would just go, hey, look at those birds. How incredible. Look how they fly. Watch watch how they build. Like how amazing is God? You seeing that? I mean, how, how, how much does God want us to marvel at beauty? Are you, are you kidding me right now? Like, they, but these are your guys. These are your guys. And, and like, we just wept together and ate together and rejoiced together and played together. And, and all of that's about what I'm talking about. Like these, these men that God has given to us, has given to me, these men flank me, protect me, help me, help us. This is, we're trying to create this uh, community of endurance 
And without this, we don't have a shot. Without these men being serious about lowering themselves, humbling themselves, they're ridiculously gifted, successful, and they're like, no, 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 I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to serve these men and women with all the zeal because my compulsion by the Holy Spirit, my spontaneity, my impulse is to move towards them in love. But that's not the only piece. Not only do we need that kind of countercultural leadership, but we also need to embrace the countercultural witness. Now, I'm going to move more quickly here because this is what we've been talking about for nine weeks. And so, if I have to do too much work here, I'll feel sad and like I failed you. All right, this, so the countercultural witness part is what we've been covering for nine weeks, but let's get back into it. So, I know some of you are new this morning. Welcome. This is first Peter, all of it in 17 more minutes. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Dang it, I wish I had 40 minutes to just do that. Maybe another time. Be sober-minded Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what does it look like to be a countercultural witness? Well, well, three things. It looks like humility. It looks like seriousness. And it looks like being oriented around future glory. So, so there's your outline, right? We good? So now, humility. Now, again, we've done this a lot. <laughs> we did three straight works at talking about submission as witness. Like, what does it look like to be the people of God in a culture that finds us at least to be a nuisance? Right? We haven't come to the place yet where they want to kill us or put us in prison, but we certainly are a hurdle in the way of where they want to go with our archaic sexuality, with our oppressive, bigotry, sexual ethics. Right? We're, we're just a hurdle. We're trying to get there, and these dadgum Christians... Don't they know? How can they think? Right? So so that's where we are. So so what does it look like to live in humility in that environment? Well, submission as witness was a huge part of that. So so here's, I just want to remind you, humility for the Christian is not described as passively receiving, but powerfully and prophetically enduring. Let me say that again. Humility in the life of a Christian is not about passively receiving. It is about powerfully and prophetically enduring. So come what may, I know who's on the throne. Come what may, I know the care that is available to me, the very real, tangible care that's available to me right now in Jesus Christ. I just know. So I get to endure whatever powerfully and prophetically, not by flashing about memeing somebody to death, but by prophetically enduring because I know who's on the throne. Like seriously, we talk about, what are you going to do to me? 
You gonna kill me? That's to die as gain, isn't it? You gonna let me live? To live as Christ? Great. Are you gonna throw us in prison? Well, we don't count the present suffering as worthy to be compared to future glory. Like, what ultimately can they do to you if you're in Christ? It's a powerful, prophetic thing to let the world rail against us and, and with humility endure it. Amen. See how quiet it got in here? We don't like that. I get it. I don't like it. That's like the scrap. The exhortation to the church here, listen to me, is not to run and hide, but to stand and resist. I feel like COVID put us all in our living rooms and now we're having a hard time getting the church out of their living room. And I'm not talking to you if you're in the living room right now. That's not what I'm saying, right? (laughs) So I was like, dang, bro. No, listen to me. That's not what I'm... What I mean is that COVID kind of took us out of the game, took us out of our rhythms, uh, t- took us out of some, some ways of living that, that were ferociously missional, that were actively about the kingdom of God and the glory of God. COVID took us out of the game. And now we're just having a hard time getting back in the game. Uh, COVID taught us to be spectators in a new way. Like we were already being drawn towards it with, with all the new technological advances, right? And, and then, man, you lock us up for a year Give us an Oculus Quest. What were we supposed to do now? Right? Well, here's what you're supposed to do now. Get back out there. Right? And so this is, this is humility. Humility is the, the ability not to run and hide because things are getting weird out there. Humility is to run back into it prophetically, powerfully enduring, taking whatever comes for the glory of God in Christ. And then it's not just humility, it's also seriousness. So um, seriousness, I think, plays itself out in two ways in this passage, awareness and resistance, awareness and resistance. So Peter's done a really good job throughout this book of saying, hey, there's opposition, there's opposition. And he kind of lays these, uh, these things in front of you, like there's opposition coming from the outside. Those who aren't Christians are going to see you. You're not going to join in their stuff. And they're going to see that as judgment. And they're going to judge you for judging them. And, and then it's going to get nasty and it's coming from the outside. But he also said, it's also coming from the inside as your own flesh and your own wickedness kind of flares up and you have to continually put it to death. Remember? But now it's just a whole nother level. And he's like, oh yeah. And don't forget that there's a very real devil that's out to distract you, divide you, and devour you. This is awareness. Um, wouldn't it be great if the devil fought like by just coming right at you? I would love that. That's, I think if I'm expecting you to hit me, I'm going to be ready for you to swing and I'm going to be ready for some stuff myself. Right? But, but if I don't, if I don't even see you coming, I don't know how it's coming. That, that puts me at a disadvantage. I need to be very aware that I have a very real enemy that's got a long history of deceit and devouring and division and be aware in the time in which I've been placed to watch for those schemes. So it, let's say I'm, I'm done here and I'm walking out to my truck and, and a guy approaches me in the parking lot like, say, man, you want to buy some black tar heroin from me? I, I'm not going to wrestle with whether or not I should say yes to that. I'm not, I'm not going to very quickly do a pro con list in my head. I'm not going to ask follow-up questions. So does that give you energy or does that take your energy from you? Right? Cause if it gives you energy, maybe I'll wrestle, but, uh, like what does, I, I'm not going to ask that question. I'm just going to say no. 
And then I'm going to invite him to recovery on Wednesday night. Tell him this Wednesday I'm teaching on forgiveness. You should come and hang out and hear about how the good knees of Christ can set us free from such compulsions. Right? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Devil's not coming after me with black tar heroin. He's coming slow, quiet. He's just going to nibble. I'm not even going to know it's coming. I mean, the, he is flipping good. And he's already lost which makes him really angry. And so we must be diligent and aware of how the enemy wants to divide us. Anytime you feel division popping up in circles that you're in and, and you look out at the, the grand scheme and think, I mean, tell me this and what he's doing right now. Just sowing division into everything. So we know where that comes from. This passage tells us what's going on. Now we just got to believe it. Right? Awareness but it also looks like resistance. So the foundation of resistance is truth and trust. The foundation of resistance is truth and trust. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, As followers of Jesus Christ, we cling to the word of God, the things we like and don't like, understand and don't understand, and then we hold fast with trust that God is not leading us astray with his moral law and his clear teachings. That's how you resist. Again, resistance isn't, you know, you're a Facebook warrior. It's probably honestly not all that helpful. Never heard anybody who's like, and then I scrolled through my Facebook page and I saw this meme. And then ever since then, I've just been happily following the Lord. I just haven't come. If that's you, email me. I just haven't heard that testimony at all. Now I have seen plenty of people get incited by that stuff digging their heels, double down on, right? It looks like this is what's true and I'm going to stand on it and that's going to cost me some things and I'm going to pay for it. And I'm going to trust that as God has revealed himself to us in his word and he has given to us the path of life, that by living that path, fullness of joy will be mine and come what may, I'll endure Right? This is how you resist. I love this uh, quote from Karen Job. She's got, I thought, one of the better commentaries on 1 Peter. Here's, here's what she said To call Christ Lord and proclaim God to be king is to be humbled under God's mighty display of eternal power rather than to cower before, this is a great sentence, than to cower before the pale might of any earthly ruler. Karen likes to squab. Do you hear that? Do you hear? Like to say Christ is Lord is to understand at a fundamental level that his power, his reign, his rule, his sovereignty makes every other human power pale and nothing to be afraid of. You don't believe me? For a couple of grand, fly to Rome. For 25 bucks, walk through their ruins. And then marvel at the fact that we're here in Dallas worshiping Jesus. There hadn't quite ever been another empire like Rome. And here we are. And where are they? Oh, yeah, they don't exist. I'm not saying it's not a place. I'm saying the Roman Empire is gone. Mainly because countercultural leaders and a countercultural witness were faithful in their run and over generations undid wickedness. And then lastly, not only 
are we to, the countercultural wisdom, not only are we to be humble and are we to be serious, but, and this is huge, we're to be oriented around future glory. Um, I thought Mason King last week broke the pulpit. I don't know if you heard that sermon. I don't know if you, but I, I thought about quitting. I started typing up a resignation letter. It's like, you don't need me anymore. I'm going to go some other place. And I mean, just ridiculous. I mean, just what an embarrassment of riches that we are. But, but his whole concept of, of how suffering um, narrows perspective so that you just can't see anything but the suffering, the pain, the frustration, the doubt, the, like it just narrows your perception to this little thing and, and how that'll rob you. And then, and then Mason encourages you, you got to remember where you are in the big story. You got to remember what God is up to. You've got to remember, well, Peter over and over and over again is going to say that for you and I, the North star is future glory and the wind in our sails is the reign and rule of Jesus Christ over all things that come what may, here's what I know, Christ is on his throne. He has purchased me by his blood. I am his. And according to this passage, there is a day coming where I will be, whatever's been taken from me will be restored. Whatever doubts and craziness I feel will be confirmed to be opposite. You're not crazy. He was on his throne. That I will be strengthened in the midst. And when all said and done, it's the people of God who will be established as those who understand ultimate reality. That's the promise. So that our future in Christ, we covered this in Revelation, go listen to those last two weeks if you want a robust picture, that our future in Christ, reigning and ruling across time and space with him, that's my future. And there's nothing anyone in this world can do about it. And so I've said for 20 years, in fact, if you've been here, you've heard me say this. You've been here 10 years, you've heard me say this 6,000 times. Like, one of our bigger problems in this mess that we're in is what I just call navel-gazing. You, know, you, know, you tracking with what I'm saying by that? Like, it was like, oh man, I, I can't do it, I, this stinks, I, my marriage, my money, my kids, my, it's just staring at your navel, and, and no wonder you, you feel anxious or fearful or, or you're full of doubts. Gosh, I look at me, I got a lot of doubts too. Like I start looking at how dumb I am sometimes, not even meaning to be dumb. Anybody else? Like, God, I'm an idiot. I didn't even know I was an idiot. And now I've just been living there and I am one and I didn't even know it. Nobody else knows it. And, but God knows it. Like what happens when you get stuck staring at you is you just see a real kind of weak human. Shadow and light. Temporary. But gosh, you get your eyes up. Like you get your eyes up, you, like you look, you see the glory of Christ enthroned. You see his sovereign reign over all things. You see how he's worked across history. You read in the book, his faithfulness to men and women who are dumber than we are. And we're significantly dumb. And you want like, who does God use in the Bible? That's perfect. Only Christ. Everyone else has all this shadow, like completely disqualified. And there's the Lord using them. And what they all have in common is they keep their head up. Our future glory is our North Star pulling us forward and it's the wind in our sails pushing us forward. I don't know what you're in right now. I, I know I've met with a couple of people already this morning and, and they're in some stuff. I'm sorry. I get it. I've been in some stuff. And, and yet you will not be defined by this moment. And there is a moment coming. Maybe soon. 
maybe a little bit longer down the line, where you will be restored and established and strengthened and set up for eternity. This is, this is what it looks like to be a countercultural witness. Now, remember the three great themes of 1 Peter? I'm going to walk through those, and then I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to just celebrate that we can be a community of endurance. The three great themes of 1 Peter. The first one was that we were called to a living hope. That means our hope, I mean, the, I mean this is to love you and maybe a slight rebuke if we need to do that today, but our hope is not that our circumstances will get better alone. My, my hope is in a person. Uh, like my hope is in Jesus. My, my hope is that he, he knows all my foolishness, past, present, and future, and he's made a way that I was clearly condemned. And, and in that condemnation, he moved towards me and not from me. That, that in my foolishness, he came and rescued me. That as King David wrote, that he picked me up out of the muck and the mire. And then he put my feet on a rock and he put a hymn of praise in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. That, that's my story. That's your story. My, my hope is in a man. By the grace of God, my marriage got better after seven years of awfulness. But what if it didn't? By the grace of God, after battling cancer for three years, God gave me healing. But, but what if he didn't? Is he less good, more good if he does it? No, no, our hope is in a person. Not in the circumstances of our lives lining up the way we want them. That you're trying to make God a genie, a bellboy, an errand boy. That, that, that's not, this is the God of the Bible. This is the reigning, ruling king of everything. Our hope is in a person. Gosh, I mean, you, if you've got any kind of church, man, it's like Jesus loves me. This I know. I said, that's my hope. He loves me. Gosh, this terrible thing happens. He loves me. I look to the cross. He loves me. And then we talked about that the second thing, how to steward our suffering. And we just talked about that. I just want to keep saying this to you, that suffering is normal. We don't need to be surprised when suffering comes, that the default experience of humankind is disappointment and frustration and loss and longing. And it's only a brand new idea that spirit sprinkle happiness is the default posture of humanity, even though it's still not. We just get on Instagram and think it is. Suffering, are you suffering right now? It hadn't surprised God. He's accomplishing something in it. Trust him. Isn't this what resistance looks like? To know the truth and to trust in it? The last one that we would be oriented around future glory. And then I just covered that. So let me just say this. The container in which you and I are meant to thrive and endure is humble, godly servant leaders who are willing to be wrung out for your maturation in the glory of Jesus and a countercultural community that's willing to walk humbly, patiently with one another, gazing upon the beauty of Jesus as the North Star and encouraging one another while we kill dragons, cut off the heads of giants and make our way to the celestial city. We are closer now than we've ever been. So if you feel like you're out of gas, we love you. Let us know. Listen, I, that, that line about the weaklings kills me every flipping time. Don't pretend to be strong if you're running out of gas. You hear me? Like we've all been through the dark night of the soul. Just come tell us. Don't get devoured by doubts and, and lies. Just 
come and say, God, I'm struggling. Man, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm running out of gas, man. I'm just telling you, I'm thin. Don't, don't do that thing. All right, you hear me? Don't do it. That I'm, how are you? I'm fine. I'm fine too. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Don't do that. It's ungodly. Nor does it please the Lord for you to pretend like you deceived him. It's an okay place to not be okay. You hear me? It's all right. You're not okay. Great. Sometimes I'm not okay. You let somebody in on it who loves you and loves Jesus. Let them come in. This is like, that's dragon stuff, guys. That's giant stuff. Let us help you just cut off his head. Father, I bless these men and women in the name of Jesus Christ. Fill their souls, the timid, the weak, the weary. And for those, Father, who, man, they're just with you right now in power and joy and gladness. Father, let them, uh, Father, pour that gladness out on others. Help us be a community of endurance that, that make it to the end. We, we don't know what's coming, but you're already there. I think either you're outside of time, not stuck in the middle of it like we are. So we trust you as one who's already there. We bless you. It's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.